1: That's c-o-m-t-e hyphen u-s-a dot com.
2: Hello and welcome to the first episode of Cutting the Curd for 2021. Hello, Cheese family. This is Jessica. Jessica. I'm so happy to be back, so excited for a whole new slew of episodes on Cutting the Curd, and I'm really excited that my first guest for 2021 is Kyle Fiasconaro. Kyle is the founder and chef of a great company called Brewer's Crackers. Kyle, welcome to Cutting the Curd.
3: Hi, Jessica. Thanks for having me.
2: So happy to have you here. Happy New Year. Me too. So I wanted to have you on because I think you have a really unique company. And, you know, we are also talking about um, heading into a new year and new trends are always on people's minds. And can you tell us a little bit about what's behind the name of Brewers Crackers?
3: Sure. Uh, Brewers Crackers is a cracker company that is focused on reducing food waste in the craft brewing industry. So we take uh, leftover, or in the industry they call it spent grain, from craft breweries, I bring them to my bakery, we process them, and instead of throwing away those grains, we turn them into crackers. So
2: now, this is a cheese podcast, and I have to say that your crackers have, uh, they're just a really great pairing for cheese. The, um, the crackers that you have currently, um, out in stores and, and that are getting a lot of attention are actually flatbreads. Right. And, um, and I have been eating a lot of them. (laughs) And, uh, and so I, I want to get a sense a little bit, uh, how you got here, like what, what is your background? How did you, you know, get to this point of starting this company? And I do believe there was a little foray into cheese.
3: Uh, yes, there was. Um, so we'll start from the beginning. <laughs> uh, I grew up on Long Island um, and I attended culinary school in Manhattan. Um, every culinary school student is required to have an apprenticeship Um, or a part-time job uh, in the food industry. Um, I had entered culinary school with a cooking background, uh, being that I was a waiter at a high-end restaurant. That was my cooking background. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. So instead of getting a job at another restaurant, um, say like in New York City, like most of my classmates, uh, I decided to get a job at a cheese shop. Um, And I was lucky enough to get a internship at Murray's Cheese in uh, New York um, so that's what were you my...
2: doing there? What kind of a uh, internship were you were you behind the counter or were
3: you... uh, no I had a pretty awesome internship uh, It was a summer that I spent in the basement of Murrays, uh, washing cheese, taking care of cheeses, turning cheeses so they would age appropriately um, and this was in their cave or their their Affinage cage, Cave, um, and it was an awesome job. I learned a ton about cheese, even before I knew I was even interested in cheese. I'm um, super lucky to get that internship. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So f- from there, that kind of sparked my interest in you know, cheese and the fine dining industry. So I finished culinary school. Uh, I got a job at a farm-to-table restaurant um, in Westchester called Blue Hill, at Stone yep. Barns. Um, so that's where I went to my restaurant boot camp. Um, <laughs> uh, that was pretty great experience also. Um, from there, uh, I kind of took like a really big right turn off the cooking um, path. Uh, I ended up quitting my job as a cook at Blue Hill, uh, abruptly, as some cooks do. <laughs> and I went to hike the Appalachian Trail. Wow. Um, So it's funny, it doesn't exactly fit into Brewers Crackers exactly, but we'll definitely get there on how it all ties in. (laughs) But um, so I took a little uh, sabbatical hiking the Appalachian Trail, um, and I, somewhere or another, found a book. Um, The book was a field guide to foraging. Um, this book just really spoke to me. Um, it was just an old field, hardcover field guide um, from the 70s that just teaches people how to forage for wild foods. Um, I found this book. I read it, cover the cover many times, um, just studying the leaves, studying the trees, studying all the things that you could find in the wild. Um, and so this that just ingrained in me between working at Blue Hill uh, learning about farm-to-table restaurants and how you never want to waste anything. It's, it's a sin to waste something or not to think outside the box of how you can use something. You know, That's really what we're taught at those restaurants um, at such a, a young age in your cooking career, to finding that field guide um, at like a, a hostel in Appalachia. Um, so between those two things, I just really have an eye for just seeing things and what can be done with them other than throwing them away. So that's really like the basis of Brewers Crackers is, is finding something that someone doesn't see value in and turning into something that has an incredible value. So,
2: I think before we go any further on the food, I have to ask, were you a through hiker? Did you do the whole trail?
3: I didn't do the whole trail, no. Um, and I'm sad to say I didn't, but <laughs> I don't. I don't think my experience was any less but that's coming from someone that didn't finish it. I did about half. So that's, wow, uh, that's... S- Springer Mountain, Georgia to Harper's Ferry, West Virginia.
2: Wow, that, yeah. that, that sounds amazing. <laughs> and that then is... uh,
3: had to get back in the kitchen.
2: Right, right. <laughs> well, I mean, all of those experiences you just laid out are, are pretty amazing. It's an incredible resume. and um, And I mean, you could even say cheese in itself is a way of reusing something in some ways it's preserving, um, a perishable ingredient. And then, you know, ricotta itself is taking, you know, a byproduct of cheese making and using it. Um, so there's many, you know, you could find, you could find a thread through every, every experience you just described. It's pretty, it's pretty wild. So how did you even know that you could use spent grains this way and what kind of grains are you talking about?
3: Um, so I, Really learned about spent grain, or I really just learned about beer by drinking beer. <laughs> um, we were—I was a cook, I was a line cook in restaurants, and we would go to breweries, and sometimes it would be slow in the brewery, and you look around and you see bags and bags and bags stacked to the ceiling at a brewery, and you know, as a young beer drinker, that's not necessarily your first goal—is to learn you know, how beer is made. But as a cook, you know, that's all you want to know. You want to know how everything is made. You know, you want to like frame as much information in your head as possible. Um, so I was lucky enough to just pick some brewers brains and, you know, they tell you, they say, Oh, that's uh that's wheat, that's barley, that's rye. What's those? You know, what do you what do you do with those? And they say, oh, you know, we grind it, we put it in the beer, we make a mash, we boil it, and this and that. And it doesn't really all connect until one day I was riding my bike to work uh, in Brooklyn, New York, uh, on my bicycle, the same way I went most days, uh, and I passed a brewery. Uh, this specific day I was passing the brewery, and there was a, a dumpster. I mean, it was a huge dumpster filled with spent grain um so i had been hanging out in breweries probably for 10 years at that point um, and i kind of knew the smell i knew what it looks like i was like oh that's spent grain that's the stuff they make beer with Um, right next to this brewery happened to be a jewish bakery and that jewish bakery was cranking and it smelled delicious so I'm just thinking to myself right in the work, I was like, wow, well when someone just take that grain and make some bread with it. It would be crazy tasty bread. Right? Beer tastes good. And bread's probably great with this stuff in it. Um, and that was kind of the the aha moment.
2: And then uh, what was what was the trial and error period like? Was there were you eating a lot of a lot of <laughs> Cracker experiments. How? What happened? How do you go into R and D from there?
3: Uh, R and D. So you get a shopping bag from a bodega, and you go into the brewery. Say, hey, can I take some grain? You get some funny looks, uh, and they're like, yeah, sure. And you take it back to the kitchen. Um, I was lucky enough to be working as a line cook in Brooklyn, um, where I like to think that's kind of like a little hub of people that are just like down for anything, uh, culinary wise. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Um, so I just, geez, the first version was just water, spent grain, some butter and salt. And that was it. And then that night we put it on the menu uh, as like an appetizer with, I think we did a, we did a smoked carrot and a little bit of hard cheese. And that was like the charcuterie plate of the day. Um, and then I did it again, and I did it again, and I did it again, and I did it again. <laughs> um, and every restaurant I worked at after that, I think that was in 2013, every restaurant I worked at after that, I had always made a spent grain cracker with the local brewery's grain, uh, never thinking it would ever be a business. Uh, it was always just a cool talking point that the servers could convey to the guest. Um, and, you know, it was just, again, add value to... A normal charcuterie plate or a regular cheese plate that we were serving
2: so what was that moment like then when this did become a business when when did you decide to make that leap
3: i moved to boston uh, with my girlfriend in 2017 and instead of getting a job at a restaurant in boston I decided to get a job at her family's sandwich shop. Uh, they, the people, her cousins that own the sandwich shop, happen to be cooks themselves. Uh, just another generation of cook. They're like, ten years my senior. They said, "Hey, Kyle, uh, we know you're a cook. We know you like the, you know, you like to work all day or work all night. You know, like that hardcore line cook attitude." Right. but we can have you you know you wake up a little early and you could be home by three o'clock, and, you know you don't have to work nights, you have off on the weekends, and I Sounds was so nice i was in- instantly <laughs> yeah. sold the second the second said you have off nights and you have the right. weekend off i just i was just I started to count the hours I would have off um and I was just addicted to just being able to get out of work and see daylight
2: <laughs> right
3: right um. So that naturally gave me a lot of time <laughs> to just experiment and do things, and just um, just be in the kitchen with a, a different state of mind—not that that rushed I have to get this done before dinner time state of mind, but this you know thinking way outside the box state of mind. Like, what am I going to do on my day off? What am I going to ferment? What creamery am I going to visit? What brewery am I going to go to? So working at that deli gave me the opportunity to just explore a whole different Avenue of food. Um, and being from new England, I don't know if the viewers know or not. There are a lot of cheese makers up here. Mm -hmm. Um, there are a lot of people that make jellies, jams, fermented food, sauerkraut, tempeh. It's like a small food business hub. Um, so my wife's cousins said, you know those crackers you make for everybody? I would make them a few times here and there at the deli. Uh, it wasn't on the menu or anything. It was just something I like to do. They said, you should turn that into a business. I mean, you have off every single night. I was like, yeah. And they said, oh, you can use the kitchen after hours. I said, oh, that's cool. And I won't have to pay for kitchen space. Like, that sounds good. I'm um, thinking it would just be the easiest thing to do. You know, you make some crackers. And they said, I can sell them in the deli. Um, you know, and it seems like a very easy thing to do. Um, it wasn't easy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I spent, at first I spent, uh, a couple nights a week there. Uh, then I said, all right, I'm going to go to a cheese shop in town. Uh, I showed them to a cheese shop. Uh, this cheese shop said, sure, we'll take them. Uh, and I said, okay, now I have to make a case. I didn't even know what a case was. Uh, <laughs>
2: Yeah, there's a lot of, there's like a whole new vocabulary, different yeah. units of measure. It's, it once you start getting into packaging <laughs> and, you know, people telling you what they need, it's like,
3: <laughs> you yeah. got
2: to kind of like, you, you fake it till you make it.
3: Uh, that is so true. Um, so what <laughs> I ended up doing was I took some orders from that, Sam, uh, I'm sorry, the cheese shop um, in Boston. And... I realized I didn't have any cases to put the crackers in. So what I did was I took the bread boxes from the bakery, the sandwich buns used to come in, turned them inside out, unfolded them, you know, like a pizza box comes, like a folded box, folded it inside out, put my crackers in the box, and then I just wrote brewer's crackers on top of the box. Um, And that's how I used to make my deliveries in these big bread boxes. I mean, these things were like three feet by two feet, um, and that was yeah, that was the first delivery to a local cheese shop, and one local cheese shop um, turned into two, turned into three, and that's how I started my wholesale business. Uh, it was just through local cheese shops. Yeah, these high-end cheese shops were the people that wanted these crackers. Yeah, not breweries, uh, not supermarkets, but it was the people that. Are looking for that like something special uh, to eat with their cheese plate so super lucky i was able to get into those stores
2: so this is a great place for us to pause to take a break get a word from uh, one of our sponsors and then we'll be right back and talk a little bit more about brewers crackers with my guest kyle Fiasconaro.
1: This episode of Cutting the Curd is brought to you by Comté Cheese Association. Comté Cheese Association represents the Comté PDO, Comté Protected Designation of Origin, in the USA. Comté is a raw milk cooked pressed cheese from the Jura Mountains of France. There, every day, 2,500 family farms deliver milk to over 150 local cheesemaking facilities, or Pritiers. This milk must be transformed into Comté within 24 hours of milking to preserve the lactic microflora in the milk, ensuring the cheese's aromatic potential. About 105 gallons of milk are required to craft a single wheel of Comté. Comté takes time to acquire its flavors in the affinage cellars. After eight months of aging by dedicated affineurs on average, each wheel of Comté is graded and shipped to market. No wheel of Comté is the same, That's C-O-M-T-E-hyphen-U-S-A dot com.
2: And we're back. We're talking with Kyle Fiasconero from Brewers Crackers. And a really fascinating journey uh, from being in culinary school to... Being the creator of Brewer's Crackers, the chef, the owner, the story you're telling just is filled with these moments of inspiration, of being in the right place at the right time, taking advantage of situations you're finding yourself in. Uh, I am, I'm digging this. I would love to read the book one day (laughs) because I feel like there's, there's a book in your future. Um, But I I would love to know a little bit more um, where we left off about starting your own business, what those highs and lows are like, what some of the highlights have been and some of the greatest challenges you've had. It's not, it's not easy, I mean, starting a small food business, especially given what the last year has been like. Can you, can you talk a little bit about what this journey has been like?
3: Yeah, sure. The journey has been long, but it doesn't feel long. It feels like I just started it yesterday. Um, which I think is part of the, part of the momentum that I have is that I still feel like I'm, I'm just scratching the surface, um, getting the word out there of what we're doing. Um, yeah, that's well said. The, the highs are high and the lows are low. Um, um, with COVID it's been tough. Um, we had to shut down the bakery for a month, um, cause we didn't know what was going on for a while people weren't putting in orders and we didn't know what supermarkets were going to do. Um, so we really ran a very, very, very tight inventory, um, for March and April. Um, and then may came around. Um, and it's just, it seemed like everyone wanted crackers and consumer packaged goods. Um, so that put a lot of stress on our, our bakery, um, our sourcing of the grains. Um, So yes, scaling has been a really, really, really stressful thing for us right now, Uh, figuring out how to go from moving to a a small bakery to a little bit bigger bakery, moving to a much bigger bakery. Um, Those aren't small steps. Uh, They might sound small, but they're uh, putting a lot of pressure on us.
2: (laughs) And how, how have you what have been some of the ways you've been able to learn about, um, some of these, uh, these new things like, you know, you described before, like not even knowing what a case was, um, how are you learning about this business? And, and are there any, are there any resources that have been available to you to kind of help you with this business end of things? Or, um, you know, I know your brother, your, your brother works with you sometimes helping with, um, distribution or it, <laughs> I see a lot of photos on your on your Instagram Brewers yeah. crackers has a great Instagram account I see a lot <laughs> of family
3: yeah um, it's it if you look up the word grassroots this is grassroots we are our Brewers crackers should be right there um, I rely on everyone I've ever spoken to to help out with brewers crackers um, if you if you speak to me then you should be expected to probably make a delivery. Uh, make some phone calls, uh, do something. Um, I think that's been the thing that I'm most grateful for is the community of people. Um, uh, if I don't know the answer to a question, I just ask someone. Um, I ask someone if they don't even if they know, I ask someone if they know someone that knows. Um, I'll go into a supermarket or a cheese shop and I'll ask a buyer if they know someone that might know the answer. Um, nine times out of 10, they know someone that they think that might know. Um, and then I get a phone number, I call them, I ask. Um, so that, that's that been the greatest resource is just speaking to people, not necessarily that know the answer, uh, speaking to people that want to help. Um, people that know our mission of reducing food waste, that that they makes them feel good to help me figure out how we're going to do this. Um, it sounds corny, but like how we're going to do this together, how we're going to make um, upcycling brewer's grain, you know, a mainstream thing um, instead of just a boutique thing that's in cheese shops. So yeah, just asking people um, and telling people what you're doing.
2: So uh, the food waste issue and the awareness surrounding that, Uh, in the first part of our interview, you mentioned how going into that brewery and asking them about the spent grains and if you could take them, that they kind of looked at you sideways. (laughs) And it's definitely been, you know, an issue that's gained awareness and understanding over the last few years. Where did your awareness of food waste start? And what are some other ways besides Brewer's Crackers that you kind of want to address this issue?
3: My... First time I realized food waste was an issue was at restaurants. Um, I think every cook probably has that, that Anthony Bourdain or esque story where you throw a, a piece of fish out that has you know four ounces of, of meat still on its bones and he makes you sc- scrape the you know tuna out and then you make a whole appetizer out of it. Um, I'm sure I have one of those memories. I'm sure I might have like 10 of them where I'm getting yelled at for something. Um, so that's where it probably lays down the, the base level of the awareness for food waste. Um, and then just understanding the ingredients that breweries use um, helps me understand that breweries are just like really nice restaurants, but they don't make food. They make beer. Uh, so craft breweries source, super high quality grain to make beer uh, they get barley wheat rye uh, oftentimes from local farmers uh, in the state sometimes in the region um, so these grains they're sprouted and they're roasted um, inherently all grain that's used to make beer is malted um, some people are, oh, what's malting malting is just the act of sprouting a grain and then roasting it. And they sprout it so that the sugars are accessible, so the brewer can ferment them and make alcohol. Uh, and then they're roasted for flavor. So a dark beer will be super uh, super roasted. So it'll be coffee flavors, chocolate flavors, biscuits. Um, and then a light beer will be super mild roast. So that's that's what malting is. So in my head, that's like... A fisherman going out with a string, putting it on a hook, putting it in the ocean, getting the fish, getting onto a boat, bringing it to a restaurant. That's the equivalent of what a brewery does. They source all these ingredients. They do all of this work. um, And then they just boil it for a few minutes and then they throw it away. So to me, that was almost like throwing food in the garbage. Um, and, And the second I saw that, I just saw so many people's hard work just being thrown away. Uh, not that it's not going to a delicious tasting beer at a craft brewery, but I saw I mean, I saw the beer only being a part of its life. The the grains is where really I saw um, the benefit.
2: That's amazing. And and so when you use these um these grains after they've been used for their original purpose, mm mm-hmm. Do you get different flavor profiles of crackers?
3: Absolutely, yeah. in, in when I started Brewer's Crackers, I th- I thought I was going to do the coolest things in the world. I thought I was going to take porter grain and I was going to make graham crackers and I'm going to take uh, amber ale grain and I'm going to make a cool spicy cracker. Um, you can do all of those things. Those flavors definitely come through in my crackers now. Um, I think right now we've we've gotten it to a point where we get the same grain that comes from the same beer every single time, just so mm-hmm. that we can really narrow in on the flavor um, and consistency of the product. But if you eat a brewer's cracker, there's no doubt you taste um, that roasted grain flavor. Um, you can, you could even, it's funny, you can open up a package and you, you could just smell You could smell like a brewery, um, that roasted flavor. Um, so yes, for sure.
2: So that takes me to pairings. What do you eat brewers crackers with? And you need to include your favorite cheese pairings in there.
3: (sighs) Okay. Um, I, with brewers crackers, they're pretty upfront. They're not, they are in your face, especially our everything flavor. Um, it is not for someone that doesn't like flavor. So let's just say you're eating an everything flatbread. I like to go with a little more intense Alpine-style cheeses. Um, so let's see, from Vermont or Massachusetts, I like, can I name the cheese?
2: Yeah, you can. In fact, oh. I know you and I recently shared our um, affection for Landath.
3: Oh, yes. That's a perfect example. Yeah, <laughs> there you uh, go. Landaff from Jasper Hill, even the, the Alpha Tolman from mm-hmm. from Jasper Hill. I like uh, the Tarrant from Springbrook Farm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, the Parish Hill makes a uh, alpine style. The Reverie. That's it. That's that's definitely has some 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 oomph to pair with the crackers. Um, so yeah, anything like an Alpine style, like a Buford, things like that, even a Conte, um, even some heartier cheddars, just something that's going to like bite through the crackers. Um, I'm not afraid of flavor.
2: <laughs> and and what about non, non cheese
3: Yes, the, My favorite. Oh, I was going to say my favorite pairing for someone that doesn't know what all those cheeses are is just whipped cream cheese. It's like, <laughs> yeah. It's like a huge winner. <laughs> Um, it's kind of like an everything bagel with cream cheese and it's just so easy to eat.
2: (laughs) And then, and what about beer pairings?
3: Uh, beer pairings, uh, usually just anything, whatever beer makes you happy. Um, I wouldn't, I don't go out of my way to like pair my crackers with like food or drink. Um, if you have a drink, you're probably happier already. So that's cool with me. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yes. Joy. That's yeah. There's joy in this. And
3: then uh, so, mm-hmm. if, it's, if it's not a cheese, I would just, uh, most of the times I'll crumble up crackers on top of like a salad or tuna fish or something.
2: Yeah. Right. Right. That's like, you know, I I put potato chips in my chicken salad and tuna salad sandwiches. Yeah. Got to have that crunch. <laughs> yep. so, uh, so what are you looking forward to in 2021
3: 2021, we are looking forward to, let's see, we are getting ready, I guess the cat's out of the bag, but we are getting ready to make brewer's chips. Um, so chips, crackers, they're all kind of related, they're all crunchy, they're all delicious. Um, so we're going to make a pita style chip. And it's going to be a lot like our crackers, but, you know, it's going to be in a regular chip bag. Um, It's going to be super tasty. And we're just trying to reach a whole different type of person. You know, not everyone wants crackers anymore with their cheese plates. They might want to have a chip. You know, you might want to I've definitely
2: seen that the last, you know, over the last 12 months, especially during quarantine, people Mm -hmm. got really creative. (laughs) You didn't see the sliced baguette. (laughs) I mean, all those pictures of all those crazy cheese and charcuterie boards, there was a lot of creativity going on.
3: Yeah. People eat like Cheetos with cheese plates now. So we think that uh, I don't, maybe it's a trend. I don't think it's, I don't think things being crunchy and delicious with cheese is going to be a trend. I just think that. Uh, people are going to like to enjoy our our chips. Also, um, just a different person. Things are changing. Um, not everyone goes to that cheese shop or the cheese department, you know, of the supermarket or something. You know, so we want to spread the word to everybody.
2: <laughs> so it sounds like you may be naming a, a couple of uh, possible trends for 2021 in here: the the <laughs> bread and cracker alternative and the. Um... And also the awareness of food waste in, um, in the products that we're eating.
3: Hopefully. Yeah, I, th- I think that upcycling is definitely, I mean, it's someone that's so close to the, the upcycling, uh, culture. Uh, there is definitely is, um, there definitely is a trend of companies trying to figure out ways how they can, uh, not just jump on the bandwagon, just be smarter about what they're doing. Um, you know, there are companies that say, Oh, you know, we're we're using so much spice on that and we're going to save the spice and we're going to come out with a new flavor. Yeah, sure. That can be upcycling. Um, You know, there's no, I don't think there's any shame or any uh, any harm in jumping on a good bandwagon. I mean, if you're going to do something, um, this is a good thing to do for sure. Well,
2: Kyle, I want to thank you so much for being my first guest in 2021. I think that everyone listening really got a lot out of this and hearing your story. Very inspiring. And you have the energy that I hope we can all carry through 2021. Let's goodbye 2020. We are done. (laughs) So, um, but thank you so much. And I I look forward to catching up with you you know, maybe there'll be a, a, a part two to this interview and we'll see, see how um, all these, so. new, these new products <laughs> and new projects you have going, see how they turn
3: out. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully just not just more products, for more products, but just more products to use more um, food waste. That's the goal.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's a great goal to have. All right. And thank you, everyone, for listening to Cutting the Curd. And I'll catch you next time.